How we do, church? You're alive and well. What a weekend we've had. And uh, I want us to thank all the team who put on the conference this weekend, all the kids, workers, the hosts, the hospitality. Come on, can we put our hands together? We appreciate you. And uh, I know many lives have been impacted as a result of that. Well, for those that don't know me, my name's Sam. I'm married to one wife, and uh, I got three daughters. In fact, I got married uh, 28 years ago this year. And uh, my wife, Kathy, she was my first and only girlfriend. We met in youth group. Met in youth group when we were 14. We were 14, got married. I was 21, and she was 20. And we just love serving God together. Uh, I grew up in a pastor's home, and so I've been in church as long as I can remember. But I also have... Uh, two, uh, two brothers and uh, a sister. My parents had four children in four years. Uh, there's a challenge for any young couple out there. Uh, four, four children in four years. And um, you know, because of that, there was a lot of competition in our household. But when it comes to church, I simply see church as a whole lot of friends challenging one another to go higher in God. How many want to go higher in God this morning? I'm in the, in the right place. Come on, how many want to be challenged? How many want to move forward? How many want to take hold of everything that God has for their life? And I'm just simply your brother from another mother from New Zealand, and I'm here to stir you up so that you can take hold. Yeah, I'll get somebody over there. Uh, stir you up to, so you can take hold of everything that God has for your life. In fact, I, I remember just you know growing up in a household where I've got two brothers. You know, We're born a year apart. We did a whole lot of stupid stuff. You know, we challenge one another. If we're building bike ramps, we'd normally start this high and it would go higher and higher. And normally the activity would end with one of us going to A&E, going to hospital. Uh, I don't know how many times we got taken to A&E. In fact, my father got so tired of it. One time I broke my collarbone, or it was actually my, my wrist, and he said to me, oh, here's 50 cents. Uh, once you've done your x-rays, got the plaster on, call me and I'll come pack it, pick you up. Because he spent so much time there. In fact, one time I remember we're, we're at this river and there was a bridge over the river. And my older brother said, come on, let's jump off it. And I thought, man, that's really high. But he said, I'm going to do it. And so he stood on the ledge of the bridge and he jumped off. And it, you knew it was high because all the way down here was going like this. Uh, he hit the bottom, he resurfaced, and he said, come on down. How, how many know I had no choice but to do it? Because if I didn't do it, I'd never hear the end of it. So I jumped up on the ledge, didn't think too hard, but jumped off and, I, you know, I was all the way down going like this. And you knew I was high because on the way down you had time to think, man, this is high. Uh, I, I hit the bottom, you know, so high that the bottom of my feet were red afterwards. You never jump like this, otherwise you're going to get a wing slap. And so you tuck it in. I resurfaced, and the first thing my older brother said to me was, man, that hurt, didn't it? <laughs> to which I agreed. I said, yeah, man, that really hurt. And then we both yelled out to our younger brother, come on down. <laughs> and so just as you challenge one another to do crazy stuff in the natural, what church is, is simply a group of people challenging one another to take hold of everything that God has for our life. God's got something amazing for your life. God wants to do something incredible in and through you. And we only get one life and the best life we can live is attached to God and His promise and His purpose. Do I get an amen this morning? Well, if you got your Bible, let's go to Nehemiah chapter 6. I want to read a passage from there. Nehemiah chapter 6, and we're going to be reading from verse 1. Uh, Nehemiah is a great story because Nehemiah hears 
that the walls of his home city had been broken down. And he was burdened by God to do something about it. A lot of us hear stuff today and we're almost numb to the news because of what's around us. But I love Nehemiah because he heard it and he was burdened by God to do something about it. He went to the guy he was working for and he said, can you release me? And he goes back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. Now he faces some challenges and rebuilding the walls. And this is where we pick it up in Nehemiah chapter six, verse one, it says, now it happened when Sambalat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies had heard that I'd rebuilt the wall and there were no breaks left in it, though at the time I've not hung the doors and the gates, that Sambalat Geshem sent to me saying, come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Oh No. Somebody say, Oh No. Oh No, why? Because they thought to do me harm. So I sent this message, uh, mess, I sent messages to them saying, I am doing a great work. Uh, would we just say that together? I am doing a great work. Oh, well, that was very unconvincing. Hey, come on, all together, let's say, I am doing a great work. How many know Uni Hill is doing a great work? Uh, yeah, a great work in this community. And I like Nehemiah, he says, I am doing a great work, so I cannot come down. Why should the work cease? Why I leave it and go down to you? But they sent this message four times and I answered them in the same manner. You know, anytime you make a decision to do something great for God, you're gonna face opposition. You're gonna face challenge. There's an enemy out there. He loves to minimize the work of God in you. He likes to even get you to a place where you question its legitimacy. You know, we're part of a world where there's two kingdoms in operation. There's the kingdom of light and there's the kingdom of darkness. There's only A and B. There's no C, D, E or F. It's either the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And there's many things today that want to oppose God's purpose being outworked in our life. But we should never be afraid of opposition. In fact, you know, we've got some gym freaks in the room. I can see Pastor Charles, man, he's a big gym freak. If you want to look as big and great as Pastor, Pastor Charles, how many know you've got to take on resistance? You know, the, the gym guys know that, you know, the more resistance you take on, the more you grow. And, and so it is with us as Christians. Now, now, Nehemiah, he said, look, we're going to rebuild this wall. And straight away, the moment he declared it, he faced opposition. And this opposition came from three different people. It came from Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem. And time and time again, they would oppose what he was trying to do. In fact, you know, they'll say, they'll mock him, oh, you know, even if they try and rebuild the wall. You know, if a fox was to run over it, it wouldn't stand, it wouldn't last, it'll fall over. You know, what are these feeble Jews trying to do? And what we're gonna see is Sambalat, if you unpack his name at the root of it, you know, it's a type, of, a type of sin or Satan. If you look at Tobiah, the root of his name is a type of the flesh. And if you look at Geshem's name, Geshem's is a type of the world. So the three things that will continually oppose God's purpose in all of our lives is our unconfessed sin, is our own flesh. How many know sometimes we're our own worst enemy? Our own flesh and also the voices around us. But I love Nehemiah because Nehemiah means comforter. His name means comforter. Nehemiah, you could say, is a type of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit in the New Testament is called our 
He's, he's our comforter. I don't know if you know that. But we have a comforter. And isn't it interesting that Nehemiah was able to do in 52 days what previous generations were unable to do in 70 years. 70 years they tried to rebuild the wall, but they, they didn't get far. For 70 years, they'd try and build it. It would be torn down. They wouldn't make any progress. But, but Nehemiah comes along, and in 52 days, he's able to accomplish what they couldn't in 70 years. I, I want to declare over your life 52 days of breakthrough. I, I want to declare, because some of us, we've been believing God, and we haven't seen things happen. But I want to declare in the next 52 days, God's going to do something supernatural in your life. Come on, those things that you've given up on. Those things that you thought, oh, well, maybe it's just not meant to be. Could the next 52 days be days of breakthrough? Isn't it interesting? The Holy Spirit could do what religion couldn't do. Let's not embrace a religion that's devoid of the power of God. And I believe the Holy Spirit wants to come and work on our behalf. Do I get an amen to that? Come on, in your business, in your family, maybe you've got unsafe family members. Next 52 days, come on, let's believe in faith that God could work a miracle in their life. Previous generations that worked for 70 years hadn't seen anything. Nehemiah, a type of the Holy Spirit comes along and sees a significant breakthrough. But one thing about the enemy we've got to recognize is the enemy's not just going to come at you once. In fact, time and time again, you read through the book of Nehemiah, these guys came against him. And we see it in chapter six. But the enemy knows, well, if, if I can't destroy the work, the best thing I can do is distract the workers. You know, right now, I, I believe there's a great danger in the kingdom of God by, by us living in a place where we're distracted all the time. You know, how many know what it is to be distracted? Some of you are distracted right now. You're scrolling through your social media. Some of you are thinking about lunch. You know, I once read a billboard. It said, don't read billboards. They're distracting. You know, there's a lot of things that can distract us. In fact, there was an advert campaign in our nation where it says it only takes two seconds to kill. You know the expression, you got two seconds to kill? But it's, it only takes two seconds to kill. And it's an advert campaign that's talking about people who talk on their phones while driving. Ever done that before? Uh, we've got some honest people in church. Yeah. Ever SMS or text while driving? Anybody prepared to own that? Come on, you can be honest in church right now. Okay, I'm going to report each and every one of you. But, but, but it's, it's, it's like we've, we've all done that. But two seconds going 50Ks an hour, you're going to go something like 36 meters and, and you, you, you could kill somebody. And so that's what the ad was all about. It's saying that a distracted driver is a dangerous driver. I, I want to say right now, a distracted Christian is a dangerous Christian. A distracted Christian is a dangerous Christian. Now, if I'm a good thief, which I'm not, I don't claim that title, but if I'm a good thief and I go into a shop, what am I going to create? I'm going to get the shop owner, I'm going to create a diversion to get the shop owner distracted so that they look over here while I steal something over here. That's what good thieves do, is they create distractions, diversions. Could it be right now you're having stuff stolen from your life? You've been robbed of stuff, but you don't even know it because you're distracted. 
We don't even know it. It's like, oh yeah, I'm all right. No, but you're having stuff stolen from you. So today we're going to look at how we know whether we're distracted or not. You ready for this? How do you know whether you're distracted? The first thought is, number one, is you have an inability to focus. See, it's, it's not just what you're distracted by. It's actually what you're distracted from. God calls each and every one of us to live with God-breathed vision. We all heard Proverbs 29 verse 18, where it talks about without vision, people dwell carelessly. Without revelation, without an ongoing revelation. You know, it's like we're in a place where we're in danger of perishing. It's not like, like, like you're moving forward or you're staying still when you don't have vision. You're actually going backwards. Come on, what's God's vision for your life? Now, when it comes to vision, though, vision is more than something written on a piece of paper. Vision is a spirit that lives on the inside of us. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he said, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can conceive the things God's got for those who love Him. So when it comes to God's plan and God's purpose, you can't understand it. You can't see it with your natural eyes. You can't even hear it with your natural ears. You can't even understand it in your mind. I find today too many people are trying to intellectualize God. They're trying to understand God in their mind. But that means if you try and understand Him in your mind, God can't be bigger than your mind, which isn't that smart. If you receive, how you receive anything from God is you receive it in your spirit. God is spirit. And no eye has seen, no ears heard, no mind can conceive what God's got for those who love Him. But the next verse says, but the Spirit of God reveals those things to us. How, how do you know whether you've got vision? You know, because it's in you and it won't leave you. You try and leave it alone, but it won't leave you alone. Me, me and my brothers used to have arguments over who was going to become the pastor because none of us wanted to be the pastor. But there was something in me that just got, man, I just got to do something to win my friends. I, I got to see people encounter the, the love of Jesus, what I've encountered for myself. And, and it was in me, even though I try to leave it alone, it wouldn't leave me alone. And the best way I can illustrate this is, is like you go shopping. Anybody like going shopping? Uh, yeah, yeah, a few people like going shopping. You go shopping and uh, you go shopping and you see something you like, you try it on. You try it out, you test drive or whatever, and you think, man, I need this. Uh, this is awesome. I, I really need this. But then you look at the price tag, and, and your heart sinks a little. And you go, oh, man, that's beyond my budget. And, and you put it back on the shelf, and you walk out of the shop, but you just can't get out of your head what you've just seen. Oh, man, I really need this. So what do you do? You go home, and you scheme as to how you can get the money together to purchase what you've already purchased the moment you saw it. How many know it's just a matter of time? It's like, you work out ways. You go, we can make some cuts here. The kids don't need that in their lunch this week. Yeah. Uh, just being yeah, there. Yeah. What do you do? You put restraints around your life to go back and get what you've already got. The moment you saw it, you know, you got it in here. That's why God said to the Israelites, see, I have given you the promised land. 
He gave it to them before they took possession of it. I challenge to say right now, you are walking towards whatever picture you have on the inside. You owe it to yourself to know that that picture, that vision comes from God. God breathed vision and it's, and it's in you. It's in you. I really feel the challenge in, and I want to put that as for some of us, we need to go shopping in the spirit. We need to go shopping for our friends and family who don't know Jesus. We need to go shopping for our community because if we can see it, if we can see it in the spirit, it's only a matter of time before we take possession of it. But you've got to see it. You've got to see it. How do you know whether you're distracted? You can't focus. You just accept whatever's on. You ever walked into a room where somebody's watching the TV and you ask them, what are you watching? And they go, oh, I don't know, it's just on. Oh, I don't know, it's just on. It's like, if you don't like what's on, God's given you the remote. Change the flipping channel. It's like we, we get the ability to change the channel. You know, and so many of us are just accepting some things. We're just tolerating some things in our world that God's saying, no, hey, I want you to be the answer to that. In fact, I challenge to say, we are the answer we've been looking for. The answer that you need right now is on the inside of you. It's on the inside of you. And God wants to open your eyes. It's been covered over, but God wants to open your eyes so that you can see the answer is in you. It's in you, but you can't live distracted. How do you know whether you're distracted or not? Number one, you have an inability to focus. Number two is, is you're looking to God and others to do what you can do for yourself. Now, Nehemiah, he was able to rebuild the wall in 52 days. That, that's the work. How did that happen? Was it just him? No, everybody heard this vision and they said, come on, let's arise and build. Let's go to it. And in Nehemiah chapter 3, there's an interesting passage where there's a whole lot of names that are next to other names. But I, I read this, if Nehemiah 3 comes up, it says next to him, okay, we're going to get Nehemiah 3, Nehemiah 3. And after him was Benjamin and Hazab, and they made repairs. Where did they make the repairs? They made them, you, you can speak, you know, opposite. Help me out a little bit here, come on. They made them opposite their house. And after them was Azariah, the son of Messiah, the son of Ananiah, and they made repairs by their house. So, so what happened was everybody got this vision and they took responsibility for what was right in front of them. They took responsibility. Imagine a church where everybody took responsibility for what was right in front of them. We have this expression at our church, we are who we are. Everybody say that, we are who we are. So, so many people want the church to be something corporately that they're not individually. But we are who we are. Oh, what's the church doing about the homeless? Well, we are who we are. And, and many people go, well, well, I want the church to be something different, uh, different corporately to who I am individually. The only place you should say, what's the church doing about this is the mirror. Because maybe God's called you to be the answer to, to that need. Because we, we are who we are. And so often we project all these other values on other people, but we're not living them out ourselves. I, I really believe there's going to come a shift in this place. Now, one thing I hate is shifting because shifting and moving, man, that's a big job. You know what I'm talking about? Just the thought of it makes you want to throw up in your mouth. It's just like, oh, 
Man, we are, we're good at accumulating stuff. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's just like, man, I'd have to move all this stuff. But here's the benefits of shifting. Number one is you get to get rid of some rubbish. And some of us right now, we're holding on to things, thinking, oh, I might just need this someday. Some of you got stuff in your closets, garage, and different things that you're going, I, I just might need this. I might need my school notes or my university notes. And we hold on to those thinking, oh, there might come a day that I need to refer to them. I, it's safe to say you can throw those things away. Man, there's some elbows right now. Yeah, it's like, but we hold on to stuff thinking we just might need to use it someday. But we never, and the good thing is shifting is like, I don't want to take that into my next season. I get the opportunity to throw it away. But the other thing about shifting is you find stuff that you forgot you had. It was with you all the time, but you forgot you had it. And you go, oh, that's awesome. I forgot I had that. I could use that right now. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's like, that, that's cool. And so that's uncovered. But the other thing about shifting is you're moving into a new space. And a new space requires new stuff. I'm praying today that there'll be such a shift in this place that some of us would get rid of some wrong mindsets. Yeah, some of us are holding God hostage to what He did yesterday. And we think He's going to work the same way. But God's saying, hey, if you're going to experience the new thing I'm doing, you've got to let that go. You've got to let that go. I'm praying that there's going to be a shift in this place where God even uncovers what He's already done in your life. Because some of you have forgot how faithful God's been. And that's going to be the platform to launch you into the future. But all of us, Together today, come on, we can take hold of something new. Come on, God wants to do something new in our life. How many are glad His mercies are new every morning? Come on, they're new mercies every morning. And so I'm praying for a shift. But you know, the whole thing of moving, we moved a lot growing up and one thing I hated moving was the piano. Pianos are heavy and they're hard to move. None of us really played it, but we had to move this thing from place to place and so what we'd do is me and my two brothers and dad would all take a corner each and we'd go, come on, let's lift this thing. Okay, really, let's lift it. Okay, on the count of three, one, two, three, ugh, get it up in the air, only to realize that the door behind us is closed. And we're going like, oh, I can't put this down. Quickly, uh, you know, I said, I'll take your weight while you quickly, quickly open the door behind me. So, so what you do is you, you, you brace yourself to take the extra way while they take their hands off and open the door. They take their hands off and you think, the weight hasn't changed. And I'm going, oh, what were they carrying? They had the strain on their face, but they were carrying jack. They were carrying nothing. Do you know there's a lot of people in the church right now? It's like they got their hands up. Uh, but really they're carrying diddly squat. <laughs> yeah, come on, if we're to really move forward, we need to see that it requires each and every one of us. Yeah, I, I want to say this. Yeah, you need to be a Christian to survive church. You actually need to operate. I'm, I'm just letting that sink in a little bit. Because you actually need to operate with the spirit of love and forgiveness. You, know, you need to be able to get over some stuff. But that's what differentiates us from the world around us. 
that we can love one another, that we're all diverse. We all come from different backgrounds, but, but we love one another. And you need to be a Christian to survive church. Stuff happens in church. And many of us have got reasons for pulling back and different things, but I don't think some of those reasons are gonna stand when it comes, before, uh, when it comes to standing before God in heaven. He's going, man, this is my plan. This is not a time to be distracted by material things. This is not a time to be distracted by, by just family stuff. And many people go, oh, I just need to spend family time. Well, if you wanna you know, do something great for your family, be in the house of God. That's the best place your kids can grow up in. Your kids, you know, when you're there and you're going through a difficult time, the kids, your kids will look at how you process that difficult time. And if you want them to go to God when you're going through a difficult time, when they're going through a difficult time, you've got to actually say, man, this is where I'm going to be. Yeah. Let's face it, we all have questions. We're all going to get offended. There's going to be some hurt. There's going to be some disappointment. But church isn't about how good we are. It's not about, we don't have it all together. Church is messy. How many know what I'm talking about? Church is messy. The relation stuff, it's messy. But church isn't about how good we are. It's about how good He is. And we don't claim to be perfect in this place, but we can do something great with the help of the Holy Spirit if everybody says, come on, let's just do our part. Let's not leave it to God and others to do what He's called us to. Third thing, how do we know whether we're distracted? First one is, is we have an inability to focus. Second is we're leaving it to God and others to do what we can do for ourselves. And number three is we engage, we know we're distracted when we engage in endless debate. There's a lot of that on social media. There's a lot of that during COVID, just debate after debate. And how many know a lot of it, yeah, is, is not helpful in a lot of places. Now let's pick it up in verse four of Nehemiah 6. Nehemiah 6 verse four, if we pick up, that passage there, there we go. It says, but they sent this message to me, how many times? Four times, and I answered them in the same manner. In other words, I'm not changing my tune. I'm not changing my tune for anyone. And it says, then Samballot sent a servant to me as before the fifth time with an open letter in his hand. And in it, it was written, it's reported among the nations, and Geshem, who's a type of the world, Geshem says that you and the Jews plan to rebel Therefore, according to these rumors, a lot of rumors out there, a lot of rumors out there, according to these rumors, you are rebuilding the wall that you may be the king. Hey, Nehemiah, the only reason why you're doing this is you've got wrong motives. And the reason why you're doing it is because you want to be their king. And you've appointed prophets to proclaim you concerning you at Jerusalem, saying there's a king in Judah. Now these matters will be reported to the king, the, the king, so come therefore and let us consult together. And then I said to him, no such things are being done, but you invent them in your own heart. Here's the thing. Unless you're convinced you're doing a great work, you're in danger of being distracted. Unless you're convinced what you're doing is great, is even all you're in danger of being distracted. But I like this last verse. It says, to all these accusations, because there's going to come accusations. Oh, you just want to do that. Sometimes they're going to come from people who are close to you. And they're going to try and get you down off the wall of God's purpose. And I, but I love Nehemiah's response. He says, no such things as you say have been done, but you invent them in your own heart. 
In other words, hey, your judgments say more about you than they do me. What we've got to realize is we judge people according to what's in our heart. Our judgments say more about us than the people we're judging. Yeah, I've got three daughters. Um, Pray for me. My house is full of females. Three daughters, my cat's even a female as well. Everybody just stretch out your hand, pray for me. I often say, I now know why God created Adam first. It was so he had a chance to speak. I don't get a chance to speak at home. That's why they've got to send me overseas to places like this. I've only spoken a few words this year up till now. Up till now, but you know, my house is full of females and you know, like siblings, siblings fight, girls clothes, different things like that. Sometimes siblings can say nasty stuff. You know what I'm talking about to one another? They know how to push your button. They know how to get right in there and they can say nasty stuff. And I've taught my girls from a young age, I've said, hey, when your sister says something nasty, the only reason they're saying it is because they don't feel good about themselves. Don't worry, it's not about you. Just brush it off. Don't react. And some of us need to hear this because a reaction to an error creates a bigger error. Some of us are reacting all the time. And we're reacting to an error, but in the process of reacting to that error, we're actually causing a bigger error. That, that will help a lot of people. And so I said, don't worry, it's, it's more to do. They don't feel good about themselves. They're insecure about themselves. And I love the fact that my oldest picked it up. And as an 11-year-old, there was a story. Uh, she came home back one day and said, this boy said something really nasty to me. So much so that she said, man, I, I wanted to cry in that moment. I just wanted to cry. But I looked at him and I said, Thomas, you're only saying that because you don't like yourself. I thought, boom, right there. The boy took two steps back and goes, what do you mean? She says, it's not about me. You're only saying that because you don't like yourself. He says, you know, you're actually right. My parents had just split up. My dad's trying to take all my mum's money. I've just been to the doctor and I'm in danger of getting diabetes. And then my daughter says, can I pray for you? But she recognized it wasn't about her. So many of us, yeah, it's the error what's in, but we react in the wrong way, but it's, it's not about us. You invent these things in your own heart. And our judgments say more about us Come on, some of the judgments we're making, some of the critics say more about us. As Christians, we've got a responsibility to live with a sweet spirit. Stuff goes on, but I'm going to keep my my heart clean. I'm going to release forgiveness. Yes, it was unjust. Yes, it hurt. But God, God, I give it to you. I give it to you. Now, one thing about my daughters is... um, is they're pretty persistent, and I don't know where they get it from, but uh, but uh, I remember one time, in fact, my oldest was nine at the time, and she says, Dad, can you come to my school camp? I really want you to come to my school camp. And I was thinking about it and going like, oh, I'm busy, but also the thought of hanging out with a whole lot of 10-year-old girls was like, man, I don't know if I want to do that for two or three days, and 
I said, because I was flattered to be asked because I was flattered, uh, you know, I thought, yeah, I'll go for one day. Anyway, I signed the form, said I'm available for one day. This can sent it away, did all the checks and everything like that. And um, anyway, one day I was picking her up from school. Uh, she jumps in the car and she burst into tears. She burst into tears crying and goes, Dad, you didn't get accepted for camp. And she was so upset, it's because you signed up for one day. And, you know, I felt really uh, gutted for her, but on the inside I was also going, yeah, yeah, I'm so sorry, baby. But, uh, you know, anyway, next year came around, she, she says, Dad, you're, you're definitely coming to camp and you're coming for the full thing, the full thing. You have to come, you know, no option here. So, again, filled in the paperwork, did the police checks, did everything, sent it away. And didn't hear from anything. At that time, we we're planning a church in a city in Tauranga, two and a half hours away from Auckland. And the way we we're doing it is traveling on a Thursday night. Traveling on a Thursday night, two and a half hours there, and then we'd come back late that same night after running a gathering in that place. And, you know, uh, up to that point, I'd driven for many years, but up to that point, I'd never, uh, never ever got a speeding ticket. But when you're in God's purpose, Sometimes you face opposition. <laughs> and so coming home one night, one, about, about 12 o'clock at night, I, I got a speeding ticket. Yeah, I got my first ever speeding ticket. I came home, told my wife, Kathy, you know, went to bed, went to sleep. And um, in the morning, she was getting the kids ready for school. And she told my daughter that, hey, dad got a speeding ticket last night. She hears about it and her face is like, ah. Oh. She runs upstairs, bursts through my bedroom door and goes, Dad, how could you? And I'm going, why? You got a speeding ticket last night. I go, yeah, yeah, it's all right. Yeah, you know, it's my first ever one. <laughs> first ever one. No, Dad. No, don't you realize, you know, this is going to affect things. And I'm going, no, no, I can pay for it. You know, there's enough money in the bank account. But she's going, Dad, we filled in those police forms. On that, now you're not going to be able to come to camp. And it, it just took a while for me to console her that, that even though your dad's a criminal, <laughs> he still has an opportunity of getting selected for camp. Yeah, and here's the good news. I, I got accepted to go to camp. In spite of my criminal record, I, I got accepted. Do you know some of you right now are debating with God as to why you can't do the very thing he's asking you to do? You know, you're debating, you go around and circle, oh, these are the reasons because of this. And God's saying, no, I've accepted you. Do you know, first year I got rejected because I only dipped my toe in. The kingdom works off this all-in principle. When you're all-in, you're, you're all-in. You're a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things come here. New. Second year. I got accepted. But how many know if you do something for one daughter, you've got to do it for the next as well? <laughs> but, but guess what? The teacher who I went to camp with the first year said to my second daughter, hey, can you get your dad to come to camp? So, so the third year, I got requested. So I went from being rejected to accepted to requested. Do you know right now, I believe God requests something of you. And some of us are saying, here I am, God, send him. Send her. 
They can do it, but God's saying, no, you, I've called you, I've anointed you. You're my man, you're my woman. My hand's on you. And I'm looking for you to really step up and say, I'm going to be counted. Say, you got, we've all got reasons why we can't. Our life's just too busy now. Well, it's always going to be busy. It'll be busy to the day you die. It'll be, there's always reasons. If, if not now, when? I believe God's just saying, come on, now, now. Some of you that had this dream in your heart, and you're waiting for the right circumstances. But I feel like the Holy Spirit's saying to you, just take a step. Just take a step. You don't have to jump. Just take a step. And then once you take one step, just take another step. Come on, He knows everything you've ever done. If we could have the musicians up. Everything you've ever done. Every thought you've ever thought. He knows it all. All. And He says, I love you. I accept you. But I've also called you. Bible says, Paul says, we've been saved and called. The danger of the church in our season is many people live saved, but they don't live called. But we're being saved and we're being called according to his purpose. You want to experience God's grace in your life? It's when you align your heart and align your life with his purpose. I, don't, I believe you're not here by chance. I believe God's brought you here to awaken something in your heart. And some of you, you know you've been distracted, but God's bringing you back. I want to invite everybody to stand to their feet. We thank you, Holy Spirit, you're in this place. I pray you come and locate every person here right now. You know exactly where people are at. And I pray you meet them there and you take them by the hand and you lead them forward. I just want you with eyes closed, just ask the question, Holy Spirit, what would you say to me through this message? Come on, let's not just hear a message and go out the doors the same, but let's say, let's invite the Holy Spirit. Just say, Holy Spirit, what would you say to me through this message? And right now, if you've been in a place where you know you've been distracted, you believe in God wants to bring focus. Even I just believe God's going to renew vision. Dear dreams are going to come alive again. But if you have been in that place where you, you've been distracted, you're just saying, God, I want to make a fresh commitment to live a purposeful life. I want you to lift your hands where you are right now, just wherever you are, just right across this room. Just many hands lifted. Just lift them high. I'm not going to call you forward or anything like that. I just believe God's going to, going to move. Because this is not a time to be distracted. A distracted Christian is a dangerous Christian. Just as a distracted driver is a dangerous driver. You are to yourself and you are to the world around you. Are you called to make a difference and to know God's leading, to know God's guiding? And Lord, right now, I pray you just remove every distraction in Jesus' name. Everything that would want to draw our attention away. Lord, you say... The cares of this world have the ability to choke the Word of God. I pray every word that's established in people's hearts wouldn't be choked. They wouldn't go out of this place. And Lord, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be like it would be a no fruit. But Lord, we thank You for a harvest in Jesus' name. 
Lord, right now, we set our attention on You. We set our focus on You. And what I want You to do right now is I just want You to even just look up a little bit and just, God, my attention's on You. My focus is on You. So often we can be focused just by what's in front of us. But as we look upon Jesus, as we focus on Jesus, it's amazing how He makes things work out and He brings things together in our life. And so just, just right now with eyes set upon Him, Lord, I pray this week you'd, you'd focus our heart, You'd focus our thoughts. Lord, that our attention would be on You. Lord, when we wake up in the morning, we'd know, Lord, that You're with us, You're for us. You're someone who's leading us and guiding us. I pray for breakthrough opportunities. Lord, and I, I want to declare, Lord, over people's lives, 52 days of breakthrough in Jesus' Name. Lord, things that have been held back, things that haven't taken place. Lord, I pray in the next season for this church, Lord, we'd see, we'd see and hear testimonies of supernatural breakthrough in Jesus' Name. In Jesus' Name. Come on, if you've got an area where you're believing for breakthrough in, in the next 52 days, I want you to lift your hands for that. Maybe it's an unsafe family member. Maybe it's a situation at home. Maybe right now it's, it's work, it's stuff going on there. Or maybe it's just a dream that you're waiting for an open door or you're, you're waiting for an answer on something. Can we together believe for breakthrough? Come on. I want us all right now to lift our voices. Come on. And I want us to pray, even prophesy. Come on, prophesy. Open your mouth something powerful when you open your mouth and you begin to declare breakthrough over your life. So right from the back to the front, can we just lift our voices? Come on, let's even break the sound barrier in that. Come on, just so we declare breakthrough in Jesus' Name. We thank you, Lord, that there's going to be a breakthrough in salvations. Lord, there's going to be a breakthrough in healing. Lord, there's going to be a breakthrough, Lord, in, in opportunities. Lord, we thank You for, uh, for days of breakthrough. We can't do it by ourselves, but we lean into Your Holy Spirit right now. Holy Spirit, we pray, Lord, that You come alongside people. Lord, and You work miracles in people's heart. Lord, I pray, Lord, keep the, You keep that dream, that God dream front and center of people's lives. And Lord, together, we're gonna take hold of, Lord, everything You called us to. Lord, I thank You for influence and, and, and impact. Lord, and I thank You, God, even though things may not work out the way that we thought, Lord, You're always working for our good. Lord, You're always moving us forward. And we thank You in You. We, we have victory and we overcome in Jesus' Name, in Jesus' Name. Amen. We thank You, Jesus, in advance for everything You're going to do.